Uh, good evening, everyone. It reminds me tonight, uh, I was invited years ago to go speak at the Outer Banks, <clears throat> excuse me, of Carolina. And it was kind of a camp meeting, and my wife and I drove. We were pastoring in Asheboro. So they said, I said, how long do I preach? They said, oh, just as, give us as much as you got. And I said, all right, I'll give as much as I got. I preached, sweated, spit, whatever, for about 50 minutes. And I thought, well, you know, they got their money's worth. And the, the guy got up and said, the, the leader of the Church of God said, well, if that's all he's got, I guess we might as well go home. So hopefully uh, we won't keep you too long this evening, but I'm honored to be here and to speak to you. Uh, Derek is the pride of our, of our pride, obviously. Uh, Derek and Dana, what a blessing. They got all the good side of the Rosses and very little the, the bad side. So Derek, we, we love you, honor you, know God's got great things. I don't know if you know my brother Rick. Do you know Rick? I can't see, can you see him? <clears throat> He's, excuse me. He's superintendent in North Carolina. He's watching right now, my little brother. And he said, whatever you do, do not tell stories about me. We'll see how that works out, Donna. Say thank you to the district. I've been here for several times before for a camp meeting. Pastor Clarence was, it, Clarence is one of my, thank you, one of my dear friends. Uh, he's brilliant. He, he was wise. He was insightful. I know that because he agreed with almost everything I said. So he, he had to be a great guy. Excuse me just one second. I remember preaching to some of the lead pastors up at the camp meeting, and I got sick as a dog. And, and I said, Clarence, I, th I think I need to go, I need, I'm sick, I think I need to go home. He said, oh no, Randall, you got another whole day on you. So I, I, I actually preached for, I taught for those guys, I don't know what, even know what I said, and then I flew back to Naperville, went to the hospital, and he said, oh, you were serious, you really were, were ill on it, but he's one of my dear friends, and it's an honor. By the way, my wife is a Minnesotan. She was born in Staples, Staples, Minnesota, to the family of the Blagans, and she was raised a Lutheran, and she has changed my life, because I don't know how many of you are Norwegians, but I was raised in an Italian church, we're German, but an Italian church, so everybody talked. If I get, if I get 15 words I heard a day that are not shut up, I think it's an awesome, awesome day, you know? So I just want you to know, we feel a little bit back home. We're, we're glad to be with you. And I do believe I have a word for you. It's not a complicated word because uh, it's simple. But when I was praying about the opportunity to speak to you as ministers tomorrow night, I'll tell my story a little bit differently with uh, your, your uh, serving volunteers. But I want you to have your, if you have your Bible with me for just a few moments, Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you don't have your Bible, you can get on your phone. But if not, I'll read it to you in just a moment. And I, I, I want to share something that changed my life. It really did. It changed my ministry. It's something that God laid into my heart along my ministerial journey when I was really, in the world's term, very successful. We were growing, one of the largest in the country. And yet I was really having a hard time. I was ready to quit. I, I was really done with the pressure, with the expectations, with all that stuff on it. And how am I going to keep growing? We were running a, a, a large amount of numbers. And, and God literally saved my life in this scripture. And I, if you're a minister, I, I want you to do me, if, well, if, if you, would I want you all to pay attention for about a half an hour. Can I have your word tonight? Can I hear an amen? amen. Raise your right hand. Donna, raise your right hand. You renewed me. I'm good. All right. 
Say, I promise not to judge Pastor Ross. Say it like you mean it. I promise not to judge Pastor Ross until he ends his sermon. It doesn't look like much is going to happen, but I trust God to speak to me anyway. All right, hold that on because it's going to be a little bit different journey. It's a different word. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, you know the event. Let's get right into it. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said to him, some say you're John, some say you're the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Say the Christ. The Christ. You're not a Christ. You are the Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I want you to think about that. Of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering together for the privilege of getting through this part of our crisis and fellowshipping. Uh, thank you for Minnesota, for the leadership. Thank you for Pastor Mark. And Lord, thank you for all that you've done here. And Lord, as we gather for, as ministers, we're so used to what we do. Sometimes we just need to slow down and let the Holy Spirit speak something new to us. So Lord, not asking for a sermon. We have plenty of those. I'm asking, Lord, that you give us revelation and the wisdom how to apply it as you speak to each of us in our situation, we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. The context of this is important. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. Uh, if you haven't, when things change, you've got to go there. One of my favorite spots in Israel, I've been maybe 28, 30 times, take a group every year or so, used to, was Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is not on the normal track if you're in a seven-day pattern on it. The reason is because Caesarea Philippi is 28 miles uphill from where Jesus was at at the Sea of Galilee. That's the context of it. Jesus has not yet gone to Jerusalem. The crowds are following him. He's feeding the hungry. He's healing the sick, raising the dead. And one day, Jesus decides to take his 12 disciples 28 miles on foot. I don't know if you've ever walked 28 miles. 28 miles one way it's uphill going, downhill coming back, to ask his disciples one question. The important thing is not just the question, but why Jesus felt the need. Are you listening? Can I hear an amen? Why would you walk your disciples 28 miles to ask them a question? Go to Arby's, go 10 feet, go to church, whatever. No, no. They walk up the hill to a place that no honorable Jew would go to. Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, Caesar's Philippi, was the most secular place in all of the Middle East outside of Egypt at that time. It's the furthest place Jesus ever went in his ministry. It is the place that was full of idol worship. There are 28 known false gods, Greek, 
Babel and other gods, Romans, that were worshipped in this place. If you've been there, there's a stream coming down, there's a mountain, there's a hole in the mountain, and along the side there were all these shrines to Bacchus and they would get drunk. There were female prostitutes and male prostitutes. They worshipped Caesar, a great big statue. They worshipped Pan, the god of deception. And in this place, that was literally the Las Vegas of their world. I mean, when you go home, Google it, you can get it up. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a historical fact. Jesus takes them to a place no self-respecting rabbi would go. Any holy Jew, they hated this place. He walks into Las Vegas, sits on the main drag, whatever that is called. I haven't been there. I'm sure you have. You're Minnesotans. That's a joke, by the way. I have been there. And he says in the whole thing, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question, guys. Who does the people around you say that I am? And they said, they don't really know. It's, they think you may be John reincarnate, Jeremiah the weeping prophet, the holy one. They, they, they really don't know. And that's a fact. How many know the world does not know who Jesus is? Can I hear a good amen? No, really, they don't have a clue. They, not only they don't know in most churches, they don't know at all out there. Just ask your waitress, ask whatever, you'll hear all kinds of stories. So Jesus said, that really isn't what I care about because it's not what the world says about Jesus. Catch this. I could care less about CNN or Fox or any of the news, what they say, frankly. If their mouth is speaking, they're probably stretching it. They don't know and know why should we ask them what, who he is? It is the responsibility and the revelation of a believer and the church of Jesus Christ to know who Jesus is. If the church knows Jesus, the world gets changed. Say a good amen. If the church knows Jesus, the world will be changed. That's the key. So he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, Mr. Foot in Mouth, almost always wrong, says to Jesus, you are the only, the one and only Savior, the real Son of the living God, way above his pay grade. He hasn't been resurrected yet. Holy Spirit's not been poured out with revelation. The Holy Spirit just jumped inside of Peter and said, boom, I know who you are. And Jesus says, Simon, you are not smart enough to get this. My Father, by the Holy Spirit, has revealed to you who I really am. And upon that confession, or let me say it this way, whoever gets it. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Pay attention. This is going to change. Whoever gets it, they will tear down the walls of violence, prejudice, sinfulness, pornography, selfishness. He said, it's not just that we'll survive the world. You will go up to the gates of those encaptured by hell itself. And you will say, open up. And you will plunder hell. That's the job of the church. What's that mean? It means we are not fear-based. We are faith-based. I... I, I just got to tell you, enough of fearing the world. 
I'm not afraid of the world. I've had the privilege of traveling the world, speaking to businesses in the most secular societies and the universities that would debate with me. I, I have been there and I know them. I do. And they don't intimidate me. I'm, listen, they're not as bad as you think. They're far easier to preach to than you are. I got rear-ended this week, messed up my neck. I'm going to a physical therapist. He's a Christian. He says, where are you going? I said, you got to get me going. I'm going to Minnesota, preach to ministers. He says, oh, that's the hardest preaching in the world, <laughs> preaching to preachers. You know how we are. I'm fifth generation. I not a criticism. It's just a fact, folks. But I'm telling you, what are we so afraid of? Well, I was afraid to go bowling, go to a movie. I was afraid to, I don't know why. I don't know. I was afraid of everything. And I got to tell you right now, I'm not afraid of them. I don't agree with them. I don't have to be part of them. But they do not have the power of a believer who has Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in who? No, no, who? You. Than in the world. And the world senses fear. It senses intimidation. It senses placating. It senses manipulation. It knows, don't be thinking your people are stupid. They know the real thing when they hear it and they see it eventually. I want a church based on real Christianity, not manipulation Christianity. That's a fact. And Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. We have the power to change the world. Can I hear one more good amen? Now the real sermon. How great is your faith in Jesus Christ? When I was young and when I was successful, I was always taught and believed that vision was the most important thing a minister has. If he had a great vision, going to change the world, going to build 20,000 things, whatever it is, if he's going to take the whole world on it, then that man had a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. That is true. Absolutely. I'm sitting in England with the chairman of British Petroleum with a man who became my friend, Dr. Merwin Hayes. He's gone to meet Jesus. Brilliant. Uh, ran the MBA of Stanford and Wake Forest. I was in Winston-Salem when I met him. We became friends. I traveled, spoke with him. And I, he said to me, we're sitting there, and he says, Randall, what do you think is the most important thing in leadership? And remember, I was traveling almost full pastor in a weekend, almost full time in secular. I was really pretty well known. I hate to tell you this, but I was. And when you look at me, you think, what, why? And that's, that's good. <laughs> and I, I said, I used to think it was vision, but I think vision's a dime a dozen. And listen to me. I said, every guy with an MBA has a vision to build the biggest business. Every pastor who graduates from North Central or CBC or wherever it was, I went from CBC, that's where I met my wife, has a vision to change the world, and 95% of them are discouraged by the time they've been in the ministry 10 years. It's not, can't be just vision. It has to be something bigger and different. And let me tell you, as I was praying about that, I went home and began to pray about it and pray about God. I've got 8,000, 5,000, well, by that time, about three, 4,000 people. And I got it's, it's some, what, am, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And Jesus spoke to my heart. He said, Randall, 
I need you to believe not that I can change the world through big events, Easter. I need you to believe that I am in the smallest act you can imagine. That my power isn't just demonstrated when you have, as we would have, 18, 20,000 for Easter. He said, Randall, can you believe me to be small enough to work in a child? To work in two people? How small can your great faith be? And I thought, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That's not been taught to me. I know that doesn't make any visionary sense. How motivational is that? I was a motivational speaker. You're taking me down. I began to realize, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. Great as John the Baptist was, no better was ever born, the Bible Jesus said, than John the Baptist, but the least of these in my kingdom. The least, the snotty 12-year-old kid that you're trying to keep quiet in Sunday school, whatever we do now, has more power in him, in Jesus' name, than John the Baptist. Do you believe that? Do you believe it is as important to speak to five people as 5,000? Jesus does. So I began to think, how small can I make Jesus? Thousands of people, 3,000 seat sanctuary, 248 staff members. Got to travel business class around the world. I began to say, God, how small can I make this? So I began to get my leaders together. Every Sunday, every week, I should say, 2,500 people volunteers served. We were a high servant church. I got them together and said, we're going to change our church. I don't want to hear you talk about numbers anymore. I want to hear you talk about people. I took the greeters, hundreds of them, every service, everywhere on our property. If you've ever been there, big property. I took them person. I said, here's how you're going to greet. Instead of just handing out a bulletin, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, got to have you, good to have you. Man, talking to your friends. You know how we usually greet people? We're talking to our friends and someone, oh yeah, got to have you, bless you. And then go back to my group. I said, no more of that. I don't want to ever see you guys together during church service. You're looking for new, hurting, lonely people. If I ever catch you, I said, talking to each other more than two minutes at a time in a service, I will fine you $50. And I did it. They had a hard time. Like, Pastor, that's what we do. We stand behind here and we hand out bulletins. We take there and we pass the offering plate and we do these things and people leave. That's exactly what they do. They leave. So I said, instead of greeting people, how are you? Here's your bulletin. There's the sanctuary. I want you to ask them their name, talk to them. I have one greeter named Marty, great friend. Marty took this to heart. He's greeting at the main door. And he, a family walked in, older couple with four or five kids, too young to be there, obviously grandkids. And the kid was crying. He didn't want to come in. The sanctuary is huge. The place is big. He's intimidated. There's cars and people everywhere. Big people walking right by him, you know, this, this big. He's crying, and so Marty gets down and goes, hey, what's your name? John. 
John, I'm so glad you're here today. True story. So glad you're here today. You nervous? Yes, sir. Do you want to be here? No. I can see that, John. I understand that. How about you being my assistant right now? You can stand with me. You can sit with us, with your family, if your parent, grandparents say fine. And I'll tell you what, here's a lollipop. And you know what? We're going to make this the best day of your life. John says, really? Yeah. Marty took this little kid by the hand. Now you're talking thousands of people, folks. Left his station. Hey, I'm busy. I got to go. Someone else took his place, took little Johnny, went to the sanctuary. Did not know the story till later on. The grandparents and those kids had never been in an evangelical church in their life. They were Roman Catholics to the bone. Ready to walk out. By the end of the month, 38 members of their family had been baptized in water, profession of Jesus Christ, because one man took one bow and said, Jesus cares about a kid. Five generations of preaching. My family. At one time in the Assemblies of God, 1% of the attendance of Assembly of God by their own numbers came from the Ross families at one time. 1%. My brother, Jim Becky Hennessy, myself, Derek, etc. I can't tell you how it changed my life. I now couldn't wait for church. I couldn't wait to get to see the people. I couldn't wait because I wasn't the star anymore. I just couldn't, I can't tell you how much happier life is when you're not the star. I'm retired now. And I, I want to be a star somewhere, but I'm not at home. I'm not even welcome at home. My wife says, you've got to go out. You can come back at 5 o'clock. I says, my house. I says, no, no, it's not. You weren't here for 48 years. You can come back when you want to after 5 o'clock. <laughs> See, you think I'm making that up. That's Norwegian girl right there. She does a mess. I said, what are we going to eat? She says, I don't know. What do you want to make? <laughs> well, I haven't made food before. Well, now you're going to learn. The vacuum needs, the floor is dirty. Yeah, it is. There's the vacuum cleaner. Well, which one of my staff members is going to vacuum? You don't have a staff anymore. You don't have a life anymore. You don't have freedom anymore. This is your life. All right. Literally, folks, I got a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Did you? I, I bought, I bought a Anybody have a Dyson vacuum cleaner? Oh, see, it changes your life. I'm telling you, you can see the dirt coming up. Those of you who are too proud and busy with God's kingdom to use a Dyson, you don't know what you're missing. The joy of seeing something done in front of your eyes coming up off the ground. It's awesome. I vacuum it twice just to say, look at the stuff that was in this floor before I vacuumed the floor. Yeah, life is better, folks, when you're not religious. No, no, really, I'm serious. We, who told us that this is the way we're supposed to feel? Beat up, angry, hurt, discouraged, and no joy. What kind of kingdom is that? No, no, no. Joy of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace. That's our destiny, but we have to listen to what God is really 
saying. So, same time, and I'll be ready to close. Musicians, if you'll come and, and help me, please. So it was Saturday night. Any of you guys have Saturday night services? See, nobody wants one. <laughs> Once you have them, you can't get out of them. You can't wait to kill them somehow. The crowds are rough, man. More people get saved on Saturday night. Don't get me wrong. But when you got a 3,000-seat sanctuary and there's 600 people scattered out and all the men are looking at you like this because their wife drug them out Saturday night. So I'm getting ready to preach. And one of the usher security came up and says, Pastor Ross, we got a problem. What is it? This kid out here has he's cerebral palsy. He says he has to sit in the front row. He's in a wheelchair. He can't talk. But he wants to sit in the front, and he's moving a lot. And he just won't say, take no. Oh, it's Saturday night. I can do anything I want. It's kind of like Thursday night at council. I got up, walked out. I said, hey, what's up, man? Never met him. He'd never been in our church before. I said, come on. What do you, I want to sit down in the front by you. Oh, okay. It's Saturday night. Who are you going to bother? They're all sleeping anyway. I've been saved 50 years and don't listen to me anyway, so it's all good. Come on down. Came down, front row, right here. Sat there, amen, you know, in his little strained voice, and he's moving, and people are watching for a while, and I'm talking to him from the pulpit a little bit once in a while. You all right, John? Yeah. So we're done, giving the altar call. People actually got saved in that service. It was it's amazing, honestly. So he goes home, didn't know it, never thought I'd see him again. He goes home. This is what I hear later on. He, he tells his dad and mom, said, went to Calvary Church. Pastor let me sit next to him, front row. It was great. He's my friend. That's what he said. Pastor Austin, my friend. His mom and dad would never come to that church. They were uppity people. Came the next week with him. Eventually joined the church, became friends of mine, did not know that he owned 28 seats on the Illinois, on the Chicago Exchange. If you ever know what those things are worth, you understand. He, had, he, was, he was the owner of the trading company who had 60 traders working for him. Became our biggest giver. He came and he brought with him other big givers. Between them, probably close to a million dollars a year. Tithe. And people always say, you know what, Pastor Ross, man, he has, he's got a big church. He's, he really knows how to deal the money. Yeah, Pastor Ross, man, he must know how to organize. I do. Yeah, Pastor Ross, he's, he's, he's got it easy. He just got lucky. Can I tell you the truth? None of that matters. Jesus says, if you care for the least of these, you're taking care of me. What a cup of cold water in my name will not lose its reward. Changed my life. I enjoy not pastoring as much, if not more, than speaking to 10,000 people. 
there's hardly a day in my life that God doesn't open a door for me to talk to someone on an airplane, at a restaurant, in the hallway. God is working, folks. We're just too busy and too full of ourselves to see it sometimes. Can I hear an oh me or amen? We're so busy looking for the kingdom. The kingdom's right there in that kid. And you walk right by it. Jesus says, he, God says he goes to all the earth seeking people he can show himself strong to. And I don't think he's going to show up and give you a big sanctuary. You can have mine if you want it. I don't like it. I mean, I love it, but it's work. It's a burden. But if you want to please Jesus... If you want a God's favor, if you want to see God work long-term in your life and you want to enjoy the process, start lowering your vision, not from what God wants to do ultimately. Start treating people like they matter. Listen to one another. Listen to each other. When I went to Naperville, when I went to Naperville, 23,000 people were there. For Pastor Bob, my friend that died in the pulpit, there were three African-Americans in the church. Three. God put me in a heart, a vision saying, I want to I break the racial barrier in Chicago. Minute, folks, I know you're having problems here, but Chicago ain't easy either. Take me on this one. I said, God, that's impossible. That is impossible. He said, try. I found two of the African-Americans and we went to my office and we talked every week and prayed. And I listened. I was raised in a black community. I really, I understand a little bit. I don't understand what, because I've never been black, but I would, I, I identify with their, that's what was going on. But I listened and I learned things I never knew. And they listened to me. And we sat down and prayed. And I put them at the door. Every time an African-American came in, they would say, we got a plan here. We're going to change the world. The head of the DEA of half the United States came in one day I, I'm sorry, Tom, I got a little time, but I just want to, am, am I okay for about five minutes? Can I hear an amen? I'm almost done, I'm almost done. I want you to catch how important this is and how powerful it is. He came in, and we, have a, we have a big gospel choir. He's celebrating, dancing, having a good time. I go over there, I'm walking, I just see him standing there like this with a gun. You got the whole, I could, you know, when you, when you got secure, you know. I walked up and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Randall Ross, I pastor here. How are you doing? First time? Because we don't usually bring those things in here. I just got to preach in a moment. I would like to know your intent. He said, oh, my wife's in the choir. He said, I never met a white man I loved in my life. I'm only here for her. You mess with my wife, I have this gun. He was not quite so subtle, but, you know, head of the DEA, he can do what he wants to. I mean, literally. He's in Washington now. I said, hey, you know what? How about you and I talking about that? I'll tell you my story, you tell me yours. We became best friends, isn't that the truth, honey? We were like, it came when I had my farewell. They came all the way in and sat down, and you know what? 
This, they, before I let resign, before I retired, they let me join the African American fraternity in Chicago. I'm going to get buried one day in that red jacket. Now listen, African American, I understand they wouldn't give me the badge because I'm not black. I know that. I, I, I look in the mirror, I know who I am, and I, I don't like it any more than you do. <laughs> but I look back and I think, thank you, Jesus. But I began my journey, and I'm gonna end my journey loving you, living for you, and as someone who has pastored and now does not, I can tell you, I feel as significant and important in God's kingdom now, praying for you, helping ministers. I feel every bit as valuable to God as I did when I preached to thousands and thousands and thousands. So I wanna ask you, what if you believed Jesus had you at the right place and those 50 or a hundred people you have could change the world. That you don't need a thousand, you don't need 10,000, you don't need a hundred. You really just need you, the Holy Spirit, or one or two others. What if you believed every time you walked up and you were so tired and says, they don't care about my sermon, you preached it like it mattered. What, what would happen? What would happen if afterwards, when you were tired, you still treated people like real people? I think what Minneapolis and Minnesota and our world needs is not higher, bigger dreams. I do, I, I dream dreams, young man, I have them. I think he's just looking for people to get back to the altar. Get back when they were just a Bible school student and they said, Jesus, whatever you ask me, wherever you plant me, I promise I will give you my best. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, what a day we've had today. Lots of fun, lots of votes, lots of business. But you know every one of us, we're not a number to you. We're not just filling a space. You, we really matter. You cared about me when I was hurting, even though I was pastoring a big church and everybody thought my life was fine. You still cared for me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. When I wanted to quit, you cared enough for me to send a friend to help me out. And Lord, you love me enough to bring, keep me back where I belong, at the foot of the cross and the kingdom. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters right now, that if their hopes of greatness has been shattered, if their heart has been hurting because people haven't received them and it hasn't been as easy as they thought it should be, that right now you sit with them and you commune into their hearts by the Holy Spirit and you tell them they matter. 
You tell them their calling is secure. You tell them, Lord, that they're making a difference. And Lord, let faith arise right now in this room with us few hundred people. And let faith arise that we're gonna change Minneapolis. It's not too late, it's not too hard. The gates of hell will not prevail against, against us. It's just opportunity. You've done it before. This, this district was founded after the great flu epidemic and after World War I and the millions of boys were killed and the secularism of the roaring 20s and yet there they were, full of the Holy Spirit and you changed the world, you're gonna do it again but you're gonna do it your way. You're gonna do it through yielded, humble men and women who just love and let your Holy Spirit flow. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come into the room, walk among us and sit next to us and stand with us and put your arm around us and give us the courage to have small faith, the smallest faith possible that the seed planted is gonna produce a great harvest. Just take a moment, we're gonna worship the Lord. Let's worship the guys together, please.